0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Mike Capone, CEO of Click. Mike leads Click's mission to create a data literate world, one where people, businesses, organizations and governments tackle their most complex challenges with data. Prior to Click, Mike was the COO of Meta Data Solutions, a publicly traded provider of SaaS analytics to the healthcare, life sciences and pharma markets. Before that, Mike held senior leadership positions at ADP, including Corporate Vice President of Product Development, CIO and SVP General Manager. Mike holds a BS degree in computer science from Dickinson College and an MBA from Pace University. Mike Capone, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brent. Super excited to be here. Uh, It's great to have you here. And and we're recording this just a few days before the holidays. This will actually come out early in 2020, but I hope you're getting plenty of Christmas cheer and enjoying uh, that with your family. We'll all be taking hopefully a little bit of time off for Christmas soon. Hopefully. Well, let's start with the family questions, and we always like to talk a little bit about the early years Uh, to get started, Mike. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like.
1: Sure, Brent. So I'm a New York City boy, born and raised. I was awesome. actually born in, in the Bronx. It's sort yeah, of my, okay. my signature thing. You know, with the last name, like Capone, uh, you can imagine. <laughs> New York City. You don't get asked uh, that question at all, right? <laughs> never, never. I literally was in Singapore last week, and they asked me if I was related to Al Capone. So oh, my gosh. I apparently, it. it's it's world-renowned, uh, but yeah, always yeah. always in and around New York City. I lived in, in Europe for a while, which is where well, I have my Well, he was wife. Chicago,
0: wasn't he? Or was he, <laughs> he New was. York? I think he yeah. was. So you could he, just
1: say, no, that's the Chicago Capone. No, the, no, no. We're the Bronx a, Capones. He, <laughs> he's uh, he's so we can get into this he's, my, he's he's my grandfather's cousin. the The short story is that the the honest, you know, wholesome Capone stayed in New York City, and then the ones that <laughs> were <our> little shady <laughs> gangster moved, side which is Chicago. Yeah, I love and, it. Uh, That's a great story. Yeah, so we stayed straight here on the uh, on my side of the family. That's great. Um, That's yeah, but great. grew up around New York City. Uh, you know, in in New York, the Bronx, and then ultimately in the in the suburbs of a, a, a town just outside of New York City. So that, you know, that that's my roots. And, you know, I I, I'm a global guy. I travel all over the world. My wife is French and um, I go there a lot. But you know what? Like New York City will always be home for me. That's
0: great. Brothers and sisters growing up. um, What was your early family life like? What did mom and dad do?
1: Yeah, two two younger sisters, uh, both uh, both very successful family oriented uh, folks. And we're still all very very close. I'll see them both nice. at Christmas. And uh, the, the I think the most fun thing about about my family uh, was my dad. So uh, I grew up in technology. And at one point in my career, I was the CIO of a uh, big technology firm, ADP, which was a uh, uh-huh. you know, twelve sure. million dollar tech firm. Yeah. Uh, my father was one of the first people ever to carry the title of chief information officer way back when it wasn't even a thing oh. and he he worked for the retail company uh jc which oh, right, we know it was sure. a much bigger deal back then than they are now of they course. were you know before oh, yeah. walmart and kmart like they, they i were think they were on the,
0: the dow 30 at one point in time weren't they in dow, probably dow probably yeah. Yeah. it yeah. was uh sears
1: yeah. and jc penny and and uh, so, yeah, so he inspired me a lot. and mm. I, I do credit him with uh, where you know where I am today because he really put me on a path and challenged me to be something. and uh, nice. i I owe him everything for that. Was he a college grad? he He was, but he yeah. uh, you know, he's a guy, you know, typical uh, sort of second generation immigrant. Uh, grew up on welfare you know didn't have a lot growing up right. um yeah. lied about his age to get into the military uh, <laughs> so he could support lot. his family yeah that happened yeah. a lot so yeah. I think he was probably sixteen or seventeen when he went into the Marines uh, and uh, that's how he supported himself and and he would send money back to his mom he, he was nice. he his mom was a single mom and uh but he uh, he's super smart went to Stuyvesant high school in New York City with oh, skipped yeah. grades but just didn't have the 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 means and so going to military is where to do that when he got out that's when he uh, started working in the mailroom. I went to school at night, got his accounting degree, worked his way up. And then one day, uh, J- or not Jesse Penny, J- uh, Standard Oil, Uh-oh. the company he was working for at the time, uh, said, hey, we just bought a computer. Uh, we don't really know what to do with it. Uh, we're going <laughs> to give everybody a test. <laughs> yeah, give everybody a test and see uh, how if they had the aptitude to program. And scored right. off the charts on that. They sent him to school wow. at IBM and the rest is history.
0: That's great. Mom, stay at home or did she work professionally as well?
1: No, mom was a stay-at-home. Uh, right. Us three kids were a handful. Awesome.
0: <laughs> Any other early uh, inspirations? You know, coaches, teachers, uh, other folks that you looked up to, family members
1: well you know it's um i had a lot of great support so i I have to Mm. say i'm super lucky in that i had a very intact family big extended family family, yeah big italian italian and irish so i had (laughs) had the best of both oh my gosh i just saw the
0: irishman the other night so
1: i I haven't seen it yet (laughs) oh gosh
0: i won't you must though i had to see it in two pieces though it's three and a half hours it's very long but it's on netflix so you can bust it up a little bit so irish italians that's great that's great
1: yeah you know people talk about the italian mafia but the Irish mafia was pretty tough. Oh yeah, oh also, yeah.
0: I, I had no idea. I mean, I, as I said, I won't spoil anything for you. But apparently, this is based on a true story. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. I think it's uh, yeah. probably very true. <laughs> Were you a good student in school, Mike? Uh,
1: you know what? I was okay. Uh, yeah. I I was an, a persistent overachiever, so I was one of those kids. I would I would ace all the standardized tests. Uh, I would go in and I would do really well, and then I'd have all my teachers scratching their heads about why. I didn't do better in sort of structure. Huh? I was a little bit bored. You weren't and, yeah. and I like sports, and uh, I just um, didn't didn't apply myself the way I should. Uh, and until and then, sort of when I got out, of my last. It's always the same thing. Like the last year of high school, I did really well, and then got into college, and I then I did uh, it's sort of slow start. Did well in college, uh, but you know I'm probably one of those people who's a little bit uh, more street smart. Uh, In applying things and intellectually, I can, I'm really good at figuring out standardized tests, but, um, never was the, I was never the teacher's pet. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh I got it. And what about,
0: um, you know, kind of entrepreneurial things Uh, or let's let's go back to sports. You mentioned sports. What sports did you play?
1: So I started out, uh, playing, you know, the ultimate pop Warner football, which was uh, many, many years of that. I was a skinny little kid. So, uh, I used to get knocked around the field a lot. Uh, but it was great character building for me. I had a lot of fun doing it. Did that for many, many years. Did you play um, receiver
0: or tight end or what was no,
1: your... No, <laughs> I was a lineman, which was crazy. Lineman. oh my god! I was getting, you know, I was a I was the center, right? So I was snapping yeah, the ball. Yeah. And they liked me because I was good at it. I don't know how many skills you need to do it. I think what I was good at was like being the guy across from... Always the biggest guy on the other side of the field, which was the nose tackle. For <laughs> That's the what other they team. put on the
0: center. Right?
1: Yeah, so I was I was basically the punching bag. But you know, I somehow managed to sacrifice myself. I did end up with a concussion at one point. So oh it my god! But that back then, you know, that, those are in the days when, oh, sure. um, yeah. yeah, it was just you know, you practiced at 110 degrees in the heat, That's and right. the coaches would grab you by the helmet and shake you. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was character building, in a way, uh, I imagine. uh, now any favorite coach that you had
0: or anyone that, you know, shared some specific inspirations with you during those years that you recall?
1: Well, you know, what was great. So my, my father was this like amazing businessman and he, he had a big job. He traveled a lot, but he always found time to coach uh, my football games, my mm-hmm. basketball games. Nice. Uh, and, uh, so he, and somehow he'd always get home. Like he traveled a lot, but when I had a big game or he'd, he'd always be there and that, that inspired me as a father right because now i have yeah. a 12 year old and i kind yeah. of think about things the same way um i had another really coach. Role model yeah I had another coach who was a new york city detective uh who was um you know he's the guy who would grab my helmet and shake me around but uh, he, <laughs> he he toughened me up uh to the point uh you know where it was kind of like you know yeah life is hard and you know get back sure. out on the field and dust yeah. yourself off and and yeah. play the game uh, which is uh it's a good skill to have i think. Uh, Next, you know, uh, there is something to be said for kind of the next generation being a little bit softer because they didn't have to go through those exercises. That's true. That's true.
0: What kind of, uh, or were you involved with any entrepreneurial things growing up?
1: You know, not not really. Uh, sports and girls, I think, were my uh, my, my main. <laughs> well, you had to have some pocket
0: money to to to, to you, support those things. Though, I right? did
1: every I did every job, knowing right. the man. I mean, I guess if yeah. you, if working at Dunkin' Donuts is entrepreneurial, then um, I was I was a giant entrepreneur. But was that high school? Uh, that was uh, yeah. That was high school. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the the most the most fun job I had. Uh, in high school, I did a bunch of stuff working in retail stores. But uh, one uh, one summer, I worked. Uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, her her dad was connected to the construction industry. And they right. got me a job working uh, as um, what they called a wire lather. But it was essentially oh. somebody who lays down steel on skyscrapers while they're building them before they oh pour gosh. concrete. And wow. so I got to work in the World Financial Center, which is that big uh, set of buildings across from what used to be the World Trade Center. Now oh, it's the Freedom yeah. Tower. Yeah. American Express is there. So I whenever I drive by that I'm like, you know, I tell my daughter, yeah, I was a part I, of that. I built that. Yeah. That's like great. were you
0: up that. on the girders and going up high? Or
1: oh my gosh. I was wow. uh yeah, it was funny because my first few weeks I was pretty terrified. I don't love heights and then you just yeah. kind of get used to it. Uh but that was that was pretty good. And uh it was crazy money for for me at the time because oh, it, was, u- it was it was union and yeah, uh, yeah you know, I was like, Hey, maybe I don't need to go to college anymore, which you know, my father put a quick stop to that. <laughs> like, to so there
0: was an inspiration there. How'd you go about picking your path? You know, what college you go to, and how'd you decide on a major?
1: You know, I that was, I would say the inspiration slash persistence of my father. Uh I did not want to be a computer science major. I I say that, and I know that's blasphemy to a lot of people who counter me to (laughs) run a tech company. company. Right, right. But um, I loved, I loved the arts. Like I loved history, uh, political science, and I so I wanted to go to school and be a history major. Uh, My father's point of view was that's awesome but you're not living at home for the rest of your life. So, (laughs) uh, you know, unless you plan on going to law school or doing something, you should get a computer science degree as long as I'm paying for college, which he did. And so I did both. So I got a major in computer science, a minor in history. I went to a school that was very liberal arts focused, but had had, uh, a good science program. Uh, Did that, did both, graduated with a computer science degree. Uh, Also, but learned to be articulate and read and write and be reasonably well-spoken, I think. Uh, But you know what, Dan, my father was right. So he, (laughs) the only job I could get coming out of college was $25,000 a year job programming um, at a company called ADP, which I ended up staying there for 26 years.
0: Got it. So ADP was your first job. Did you get some uh, early leadership responsibilities there?
1: I was uh sitting in a cube writing COBOL and assembler code. It was it was dark days. Um, very focused. Me, yeah. it was, right. Right. I was like, what is, what is what have I doing myself to? There's nothing at the time, <laughs> you know, program programming and coding is much different today than it is you oh, know, with Agile. I, I remember doing Fortran
0: cards when I was in college. Uh, so that's how old I am. But oh what a yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, so you were maybe one a, step removed from that.
1: You you said it, man. So like one I'd I'd love to be doing that today. It's fun, and I, but I was like sitting in a code with a bunch uh, cube with a bunch of manuals, and right. uh, and then I quickly volunteered. Said you know what, this is awesome, but I it's not for me, and that led me to get into uh, more like package software implementations. You know, right. so like the SAPs and the the Oracles and things like that, and that was fun because that was more business oriented, and uh, and I felt like I was contributing a lot more. So that was where my career really, really took awesome. off.
0: Do you remember the first time you started managing people, Mike?
1: Yeah, I was about four years in uh, yeah. to my career, and they they gave me a team of three uh, people right. uh, to test me out. I was pretty ill equipped uh, to be a manager at the time, and you know, working in IT at uh, at the time, you know, they didn't, it wasn't a lot of training. So it were, was were they
0: business. coders as well? I mean, was it kind of the job you had before, or were they folks that had been there a while? What was kind of the extent of your management? It
1: was kind of weird because some of them were sort of my age coders. One of them yeah. was significantly older than me, like forty. Uh, the, th- best thing that happened was I had a really good mentor back then. a mm-hmm. uh, guy his name I'll never forget. It was George Papaccioli, good Italian guy.
0: Yeah. I've uh, yeah. been
1: around the block a few times and he was a guy I could just call on. And, you know, that's how you get this stuff done. You just find somebody who can mentor you. And I learned on the job and there was bumps, but, um, eventually got there.
0: What were some of the lessons he taught you in those early days? If you recall.
1: You know, you have to lead from the front, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's even, even with a small team like that, you know, this is a lesson I've taken with me from the first day I managed all the way to now where I'm the CEO of a company, but um, you need to be seen, you need to spend time with people, you need to explain what you're asking them to do, and you need to be willing to do yourself what you're, you're asking them to do. Yeah. And that's the best lesson I ever learned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've had just a really outstanding
0: career, worked across a number of different companies. You know, tell us a little bit about your career path. So ADP was about 10 years and then what?
1: Well, ADP was actually, believe it or not, this is going to sound shocking to anybody in today's world, but ADP was 26 years. Oh, 26. Uh, oh my 26 gosh. 26 wow. years. But wow. that very, very famous HR person that I know who actually I had lunch with two days ago, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, he, he told me, you know, it's better to have different careers in the same company and then the same career in different companies. That's true. And it was brilliant. And ADP, they were so good to me. I'm, I worked hard, but they gave me opportunities. So just when I was at a level where I was getting bored, there was always another opportunity. And, you know, one of the lessons there is I, like I volunteered for stuff. So when things yeah. were, things are going sideways on a big project, I remember there's a bigger ERP implementation going the wrong way. And I volunteered to take it on. And turn it around and raise fortunately hand. I did. And yeah. um yeah. but you know, I, I was able to rotate from sort of classic IT jobs out to general management jobs, back into product development and ultimately to CIO. And that that was great. And uh and it's a phenomenal company. It's one yeah. of the it's one of the greatest companies in the world. You know, they've been around for a really long time, very consistent results, and I'm still very friendly with the my former boss, the CEO there.
0: And then you moved to a COO position, if I'm not mistaken, at Metadata. Right? Was that the next uh, job after leaving there? That's right, Brand. Yeah. So that
1: was, and that that was great. So 26 years at ADP, all good. Uh, it was, you know, I was getting kind of up there, and uh, in in 10 years, so right. uh, did I want to spend the rest of my life in one industry? And this was a chance for me to branch out. Metadata, cloud technology for clinical trials, life sciences uh, companies. Yeah really interesting work. So the ability to bring technology and data science into the world of drug development and try to make the world a better place, partnering with companies like J&J and and, um, Pfizer and Novartis. And uh, I loved that job because it gave me a chance to learn a new industry, but also, you know, to really directly or indirectly impact uh, people's lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, And stepping into the COO job was a very different role, right? From the CIO you'd been in before. How how did you kind of adjust to that change?
1: Well, it was it was definitely interesting on a number of fronts. You know, fortunately, I had had a general management job at ADP in between yeah. my sort of corporate IT job and my uh like CIO CTO job. Yeah. So I had some experience running um, you know, I'd say a large PL inside of a really, really large company, but that's not the same as being COO of an entire public company. Sure. And uh I had I, it was all on on me right so unlike adp where i had one p l uh which was just a small piece of a giant thing you know at metadata like what happened in my space determined how the company was going to do um so again uh hire great people you know yeah. they, i hired a great uh, cto great cmo great head of sales uh went um and then sought advice from some people that i really admired on how to do things. And, you know, just, um, and you know, the two founders were there and they, uh, uh, they gave me a lot of latitude and support, uh, to be successful, you know, and in three years, you know, with that, that company probably went from 270 million in revenue up to like 550 or so awesome. in revenue, had a great partner. The CFO there was a great, uh, partner of mine as well. So, um, it's you know it's all about the people you surround yourself with and um, and and your willingness to learn on the job and be open to doing things differently. Absolutely.
0: And you're coming up on your second year anniversary as the Click CEO. Uh, how did that come about? Were you recruited into that role, or was that an industry connection that you had?
1: Uh, it was uh, a former colleague of mine at ADP uh-huh. uh, popped up. I hadn't heard from him for a while, but we were pretty close when we worked together at ADP. He was an entrepreneur whose company ADP had bought. And he hung in for a while, but then he decided he didn't want to be part of the big company machine anymore. Uh, He wanted to go back. So he popped up as the CEO of a small company called Frontline Education, Mm. uh, which is out here in the, the Philly area, actually. And he called me and said, hey, the private equity firm that owns my company is looking for a CEO of this company, Click. And I think you'd be perfect. Awesome. And I said, well, I have, um, you know, I, I have a job, but he said <laughs> and I'm having fun. Uh, yeah. And he said, don't you want to be CEO? Uh, and, and also, you know, same old story, like meet, meet with uh, this gentleman, his name's Orlando Bravo, Orlando Bravo. There's just a big uh, feature article written uh, on him. He, he's one of the the founders of Toma Bravo, the company, um, super awesome man, uh, yeah. like big uh, philanthropist, uh, very smart. And, but also very charming, right? mm. so, and, and also well, he gets what he wants. So we <laughs> right. met. He put the Engaging. squeeze on me, and um, and you know, and he he really made a compelling case, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah,
0: awesome. So tell us a little bit about Click, uh, number of staff, you know, kind of current operations, um, and what you folks do.
1: Yeah, we're uh, we're uh, sort of a full data platform and analytics company. Uh-huh. So Click uh, Click's an awesome company. It was founded in Sweden about 20 years ago. It's got this really unique perspective on the world, very socially responsible. Uh, but interesting people, the city Lund in Sweden, where it was founded, uh, just you know big big university education system, some really smart right. people came up with um, just technology uh, that did two things. One is it, 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 they had some uh, interesting algorithms and technology that brought that brings disparate data sources together. And make sense of it. Um, very unique in the in the mall. There's lots of like data companies that do kind of SQL queries and things like that. But sure. this technology is very different. And then they were one of the first ones into the visual analytics. So oh. taking data and making beautiful um, visualizations out right, of it, right. and uh, companies well, so really people well. can understand it better, huh? understand it better, yeah, and inform yeah. decision making. Right. And uh really really good run um, went public um, early in the 2000 the two, 2010s and uh, and did um, did really well. Um, but um, you know then the world got um, interesting. you know there's big companies out there like Microsoft who are competing in Tableau and uh, so you know when they brought me in it was really to kind of open the aperture and figure out like what else what else can we do with this company and that's where, um, we made a decision to, to broaden it from just a data and analytics company to full data platform. So we've done some really interesting acquisitions that sort oh. of enable you to to very quickly and easily get data out of any operational source into a platform. And it's right. really doing great in the market today. Our customers awesome. really like awesome.
0: it. How many employees today? And and uh, you're still public, correct? So you can talk to me about your sales?
1: No, we're not, actually. Oh, so you went we, you were back private. We, right. we, we, give we went a private. Range. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I, I can't disclose financials. I can give you employees and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Um we uh, have twenty four hundred employees now. Wow. Uh, the 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 last sort of couple hundred coming from this acquisition we did in May of a company called Atunity, which was really wonderful company based in uh, Israel that had some of the newer technology we picked up. Nice. Uh, but um, And we're all over the world, so we're in 30 countries. Um, the center of gravity is sort of here now. We moved the headquarters to the U.S. So we're in Pennsylvania, outside of Philly, right. uh, but still a really uh, great team of people in Sweden where we've got a lot of software developers yeah. still, other, and then uh, yeah. other places around the world, including awesome. Singapore and India,
0: where I was last week. And were you involved in taking the company private again, or did that happen before you came on board?
1: That happened uh, just before I came on Got board. It. So Orlando Bravo and Tomo Bravo actually took the company private and then asked me to join to uh, kind of take it to the, the, the sort of the next next phase. Awesome, good. Well, congratulations. Tell
0: us a little bit about how your kind of leadership styles evolved. you know, cause you've gone from CIO, COO, CEO uh, Pretty much different industries, right? You know, uh, maybe some, some of the same customer base, some overlap there. And, um, you know, have you had to change gears a lot or have you found some key principles that have really kind of been to your mainstay success over that period of time?
1: Well, it's interesting, Brent. So, you know, big companies, small companies, different different sort of challenges, right? So you can imagine big companies, you know, you have to do a lot more working across uh, the, you know, the the organizational structure. And, you know, there's also it's a little bit more bureaucratic. So, you know, one thing I needed sure. to do, I went from, you know, big established, you know, 50 plus year old company, a lot of, a uh, lot of history to, you know, a very sort of spry, not a startup. data was by far, far from a startup. It was right. a, you know, very successful, you know, <laughs> uh, doing grow, fast growing company, but things moved a lot faster. So, uh, you know, I, I really uh, enjoyed the transition and being able to make decisions fast and being able to, Uh, move and just having a sort of close-knit group that was running the company, Um, you know, not necessarily better, but certainly different. Uh, But it also, you know, when you're, when you're a CEO of a smaller company, you can really be out there. And so what I love is, you know, I can, you know, I, like I did, I just go visit each country, meet with, meet with the employees, get really close to it. And that is a lot of fun uh, for a CEO. Like I don't, I don't get handled. Like I don't have a group of people telling me what to do, where to go. Uh, I, uh, I get to go wherever I want to go, and uh, usually when I go, I, I just go and I hang out with the teams, and, yeah, and, yeah. and it's not scripted at all.
0: You know, Mike, I recently heard it said that it's better to have your answers questioned then your questions answered. (laughs) And as a CEO, you know, can you remember a time uh, recently or perhaps it was in a previous job where you've been in a situation where, you know, perhaps a subordinate uh, kind of pulled you out on something with regards to, you know, your statements and and uh, been challenged on stuff. And, you know, how do you respond to that when that happens?
1: Look, you have to surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you. It's uh, it's it, it is you know probably probably tons of studies that show you know CEOs who don't get challenged or don't who are just looking for yes men above them. That's like the are around them. That's the death knell of a company. Uh, you got it. Happens be with heads
0: of countries too, but we won't get
1: into that. Uh, uh, yeah, there's no <laughs> no. I don't even uh, I know what's going on in politics. Uh, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. So we're not going to talk that. But we. Look, even today, like we had a board meeting today and, uh, before, you know, we were prepping for it and, you know, my, my CFO and I had a very, um, you know, healthy disagreement about how to position something. And, um, you know, we, we do, we, you know, we've done three acquisitions. We're looking to do a few more and there's huge, you know, I I could be excited about something and my team will look at me like, are you, are you crazy? This thing is a pig. And, um, that's what we, you know, that's the kind of talk that we have, like, you know, um, We're not, people don't look at me thinking that I, because I want to do something, everybody has to do it. They really, they really do it. And I don't care if people challenge me in public, you know, obviously, as long as they do it respectfully. (laughs) So
0: never personal. You've got 2,400 employees. It sounds like, what you said, 20, 30 countries? How many countries are you operating in?
1: We're in about 30 countries right now. 30 countries uh, with people or employees rather. And we're over 100 uh, countries with uh, customers.
0: Fantastic. So, you know, building a strong global company culture can be a real challenge. You know, what are your thoughts about that? And, you know, how do you do that as you travel around to your various offices, meet the people and, of course, meet your customers as well?
1: Yeah. Uh, So you sort of led the witness on the answer. Uh, You got to be out there. Uh, We do. We use every kind of technology uh, imaginable to try to get the word out. So we have you know, collaboration tools. We have we do. Quarterly global uh, webcasts where uh, we actually video cast out. We set up a stage and we do those things. Uh, I blog all the time. Uh, we uh, have like management sessions where we cascade things down. But really, there's no substitute for getting on a plane and yeah, getting yeah. out there. And you know, I, I probably have 30, 35 people in India plus, but I've got a lot of customers there. So you know, you go and yeah. you, you see the people and, and you answer their questions. You have town halls. Uh, you you And then you just be very approachable. Everybody in the company knows they can email me or ask me a question at any time, and I always, always answer them no matter what.
0: What, what would you say is unusual or, or perhaps unique about Clicks Culture?
1: It's a really interesting blend of uh, a sort of a go-go tech company and a mm. very deep-rooted social responsibility company. Like, mm. it is, it warms your heart, right? When the, the, mm. the, you know, it definitely... The Swedish thing definitely is a big influence because right. from from day one they were they were very concerned about making sure that they weren't just bottom line focused. They were uh, making the world a better place, and so a lot of what we do here is focused on that. Uh, we give our software in kind uh, to organizations. Uh, we work with the United Nations on. Uh, things like uh, human trafficking, for example, looking for patterns in immigration data that could indicate human trafficking. We work on climate change. um, If um, people are willing to admit that's a thing, Mm -hmm. Um, again, not getting political, but you know what, it is a thing. And we are working with an organization called C40 Cities, which is a bunch of cities that I uh, kind of got fed up with uh, country governments not moving fast enough on ah. this. So these cities are taking management their own hands and we're helping them. We're helping them uh, with awesome. analytics as ways to reduce their carbon footprints. And um, and it's super exciting. And every employee, you know, if you stop them in the hall, they'll you know, ask them like, what do you love about Click? That is what you'll usually get is it's this mix of like, it's fun to work here because of the tech, but it's also interesting because we care.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is the C40 Cities a nonprofit, uh, Mike? What, it I is. haven't heard of the organization before. It awesome. is, and, and it's it global.
1: C- it's called C40, but it's actually like a hundred now. Hundred cities. Say, it probably started yeah. with forty,
0: and it's grown since then. Yeah. And, and it's, it's global cities, not just the U.S. so global. It's yeah, global, awesome. yeah. Awesome. yeah that's very that exciting, and yeah.
1: uh, we got a lot of stories like that. But that that is one of my favorite ones.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Um, you know, is the culture kind of more of a, you know, focus on revenue, you know, versus profit, or do you have a healthy balance of both? You know, I've, I've heard it said revenues for vanity and profits for sanity, <laughs> right? But, uh, what, what's kind of the culture along those lines?
1: Yeah, we, we're pretty grounded. So, uh, yeah. we are very, uh, we, we're a healthy business. We, we are profitable, uh, nicely profitable. Nice. We're growing, we're, we're growing the top line. I'm not, you know, by the way, the you know, not to be critical. I mean, there's plenty of companies that have done quite well uh, growing, you know, revenue over a click was that way for a while. It's like top line, go, top, grow, right. grow, grow, right. grow, spend, spend, spend. Uh, and that that's fine for a while. Um, it does eventually have to stop at some point, though. You either get bought before you need to stop it or something, you know, not less interesting happens. Yeah. But uh, in click's case, you know, we're, we're profitable. Uh, we we have a really good balance of uh, growth uh, with uh, with profitability, and I kind of like it because you know when when things when the market you know, when when the markets go bad when uh, Wall Street starts to look at uh, companies in uh, kind of a downturn and the top line growth slows, it's nice to be able to fall back on profitability. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in at Click?
1: You know, it's for me. It's it's just about best athlete. It's you know who who has uh, the passion and the intelligence uh, to get it done. Um, I, I care less about domain expertise because I can teach that. Uh, sure. But you know, pe- and then people who have you know can kind of tell the story that uh, I like to hear, which is here here's the challenges I face. Here's where I volunteered for difficult assignment, and here's how I I succeeded. And then also when I failed, here's how I failed, and here's what I learned from it. Mm. Like those people are super and in, invaluable. Um, and again, I look for people who are kind of interesting, right? Uh, yeah. I'm not disparaging people who've been in one discipline all their life. I think there's there's a great need for that, but uh, I do like to see people. It's like, hey, I worked in sales and then marketing, and then you know I rotated out into like a general management assignment, and now I'm back into you know marketing. Those people are really interesting to me.
0: Do you use those same metrics and qualifications as you promote people within the organization?
1: Uh, but we it, it, it's heavily weighted so mm-hmm. you know people who have rounded experience that that's a that's a factor it's not the only factor people right. people can get promoted inter, inside of a discipline um for doing well taking on more responsibility so it's a it's not an or it's a kind of an and in terms of criteria but you know look it's our job as leaders and managers to get people that experience we always right. tell people they own their own career path and they gotta they always gotta to be looking out for it but the reality is you know me and uh, my team we spend some time. Uh, going through the organization, doing development plans for people and and making sure that they they can rotate between different jobs. Do you get involved in a lot of the interviewing and hiring and,
0: and promotion decisions?
1: Promotions, uh, for sure. Anything yeah. sort of director and above here. Um, it's uh, We have a very uh, defined process of um, conversation. So right. it's not a very bureaucratic process, but it is a, a very open process. So uh, the, the leaders across my team We'll weigh in, particularly on things when we start, I want to do like vice president promotions and uh, it's, it's fully vetted and um, everybody gets hurt. And then uh, I get, I get involved in some of them interviewing, you know, same thing, you know, people who report directly to me or one of right. my directs, I, I certainly will talk to. And then sometimes if someone just ask me, Hey Mike, can you chat with this person? Because uh, right. I, I, a couple of levels down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then in those situations where maybe you only have five, 10 or 15 minutes, what do you focus in on? What are some of those questions you'll ask?
1: Uh, cultural fit it's all mm-hmm. yeah. you know i am going to assume my team did a really good job of checking to make sure right. they you know right. knew how to code or right yeah. knew what yes. knew what corporate marketing was so then then it becomes okay talk to me about how your style how you work across the organization and look we're we're um you know we are we don't live on org chart authority here right we mm. you know your currency is uh, how other people perceive you as being collaborative and helpful to them and how you can help them succeed. So you have to be able to bring that currency to the table because people, honestly, they don't care where you are in the org chart here. It's really about, can you collaborate? So I just ask for that.
0: Well, Mike, you've been very generous with your time and we're almost out of it, but we've got one last question. We ask all our guests and, you know, what's the career and life advice you'd give to someone that's got their eyes on their own corner office someday?
1: You know, go for go for the hard assignments. Um, don't play it <laughs> safe. You know, it's, uh, Raise your it's, hand it's scary and volunteer. Sometimes uh, people. Yeah. Uh, when I took that, I remember that ERP project. That was that thing was going south in a big way, and <laughs> people told me that was it for me. My, you know, your career was over, and uh, I was crazy to take it on. And with a lot of help, I turned it around. And then, you know, the last thing I'll say which is my favorite story of all time is, you know, when I was a CIO, uh, chief information officer, which, you know, the joke around that job was, you know, it stands for career is over, not chief information officer. (laughs) I had not heard Uh,
0: that one before. Yeah,
1: that was the the joke CIOs have in in our circles, uh, you know, but is that a, uh, CIO conference. They had a bunch of headhunters, you know, Corn Ferry, a couple mm. others. And, you know, I asked, raised my hand, asked a question, how does a CIO become CEO? And they all, all of them, without fail, all four of them said, you can't. It doesn't happen. No board really? wants a CIO as a CEO, uh, you know, wow. give it up. And uh, I proved them wrong. Here I am. That was an inspiration, it sounds like. So, you know, I, like I, we'll finish this where I started, which is I'm from the Bronx. Like, you know, Right, uh, exactly. You Don't tell me, no.
0: Me, that's, that's okay. <laughs> Mike Capone, CEO and president of Click. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into
1: the corner office. Pleasure, Brent. Thank you.